back when my wife and I were relatively new parents, still learning how to be parents. Our daughter was about a year and a half old and kind of a new walker and a new talker. And there was this one time when we were with her in a museum on a trip and she was making chirping sounds and so we had to move outside. And so we were walking along the street at that point and normally we pushed a stroller that she would ride in but she had her own little stroller and sometimes she'd walk along and push her tiny stroller with her little baby. And as she's pushing this little stroller with the doll in it, we suddenly notice what she's doing. She's taking a cracker in her hand. She's pushing the stroller with the other hand and as she's walking down the street, she's saying, blah, 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 oh boy, blah, 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 oh boy. And we start noticing all of the people around are looking at our daughter and they're looking at us and then they're looking at our daughter and we're realizing that she is a caricature of us in this moment. It's this lesson about children, equally so I believe, a lesson about adults. We take cues wherever we go, for better or for worse, we take our cues from our environment. We bring it in and we live the way that we have seen. In the reading from Matthew that we just heard, Jesus is traveling through cities and villages. He's preaching in synagogues. And what he's finding is people who do not know where to take their cues. They're leaderless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And what Jesus is doing, the primary activity that we see him engaging in, is healing. He is healing the people because they need a healer as much as they need a leader. And interestingly, you notice that he doesn't say, I'm going to do all the healing myself. What he says is he turns to his disciples and he says to them, you now be the healers. Go into these villages and these cities and do as I have done. The healing that Jesus does at this time begins with compassion. That's what the text tells us. He looks upon the people and he is moved with compassion for the state that he finds them in. The great theologian Paul Tillich preached on this very text in 1955. At the time, he was a professor at Union Seminary in New York City, and he preached a commencement address to the seminarians who are all about to graduate. And these are the words that Paul Tillich said that day. The first difficulty you will experience when Jesus sends you ahead of him and gives you the power of healing is that many people will tell you that they do not need to be healed. And if you come to them with the claim that you will cast out the demons that rule their lives, they will laugh at you and assure you that you are possessed by a demon, just as they said to Jesus. Paul Tillich wrote many words about the demonic that exists, including the demonic that exists within religion. And his definition of that is, is when humanity and the life of God part ways, when we become estranged from one another, estranged from God, 
other elements creep in, and they become invisible to us. And yet, just like a child taking cues, we are susceptible to those forces. Today, we are talking about this moment, this historic moment that St. John's is at the center of physically, but it's a moment for our entire country. And even as I stand here at the altar in the middle of our sanctuary, the church is boarded up. You can't see it, but the stained glass windows are covered and there's no light coming through, it's all dark. But we have spent days and days right where I'm looking, right outside the front of this church, because there was an opportunity to show compassion, to be part of God's work for healing, to stand among people, to listen, to serve, to offer water and snacks, moral support, to partner with medical groups, to partner with de-escalation groups, and to be a loving presence in the name of God. Interestingly, St. John's is a community that has evolved over the years. We've been here for more than 200 years, and I have heard many people who have been around a while recount to me the experiences from St. John's in the 60s. My predecessor's predecessor, a man named John Harper, arrived in 1963, and like me, he had not even been here one year when suddenly a moment arrived right on the doorsteps of St. John's. And he, in the vestry, made a conscious decision to open the doors of the church at that time. And what I'm speaking about is the March on Washington in August 1963. A lot of buildings were closing up. A lot of precautions were being taken. Some people even warned John Harper and other leadership that they should not open the church because, in their words, it would be a bloodbath. And yet wisdom and grace prevailed. Consider, too, that John Harper in his memoirs noted that in 1960, St. John's had no members of color. And so they opened the doors of this sanctuary, filled it with an interfaith, multiracial service of 700 people, pastors from many different backgrounds, and they prayed and they sang together. All vestry members showed up, and remember at that time, every single vestry member was a white male. This was a turning point in the life of this church, a moment of waking up, and the church was never the same since. I think one thing you can say about St. John's is it is, is and always has been a place of faith. It is and always has been a place that honors beauty, that honors speaking the truth with love and civility. But perhaps at that moment, more than any other moment before for the life of this church, it woke up to the call for justice. And here we are in a parallel moment in some ways where a historic moment in the life of the country and the world is right on our steps. It's an opportunity for us to, to speak for justice, to speak against racism, to speak against anything that does not honor the dignity and worth of every human being. The call is both outward and I believe also inward. Ibram Kendry, who is a professor at American University, 
and who wrote the book How to Be an Anti-Racist, talks about the nature of racism today. It may not be like it was in the 60s where it was so easy to spot, but now it is like with that child who takes their cues and doesn't even know it. He writes about, even as a black man, discovering his own racism. And he says it's like being wet. When racist messages have been poured out upon you throughout your life and you didn't even know it, you might be wet and somebody else can tell you that and it will be a surprise to you. But then he says there is hope because that person might offer you an umbrella. I'm excited to see where we will be called from this moment forward. One thing that we can be sure of is that we will not be alone in that call. God's grace, God's presence, and God's hope will be among us. For just as Paul says, suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Amen.